All right, well, we're going to keep going on Seek First, our series we've been doing this fall. If you're new today, welcome. And uh, you're towards the tail end of a series we've been going through, talking about the Sermon on the Mount, um, uh, which is in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 specifically. And uh, it's Jesus on the front end of his ministry on earth. And he uh, pulled his disciples, and there were others in the crowds, kind of came near and Jesus began teaching them about the ways of the kingdom, and in many ways that we've said, he's uh, begun to rightly interpret some of the Old Testament that maybe was misinterpreted, maybe was misrepresented, or maybe not fully understood by the people of the day. So we're going to keep going today, and we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 7, um, starting in verse 7. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. We'll pause there. So many of us have probably heard this passage before. Um, and, you know, when you break it down, it's a series of promises that Jesus is making. But he doesn't mean that everything you ask for is what you will get, right? Um, and it shouldn't mean that. It shouldn't mean that whatever I ask for is Jesus saying, whatever I ask for, I'm going to get exactly that. That's not what it means. Because um, if that's what it means, then that would put God as the genie in the bottle, right? And you get three wishes and it's, God do this and do it exactly like that. But um, fortunately, God is not a genie in the bottle, right? He's God. And um, for you to tell God what to do would mean that you're God, right? But we don't get to do that. God tells us what to do. We can request things. We can ask of him. We can seek him and we can knock. But to tell God how it needs to be or else is a complete reversal theologically of where we stand. Does that make sense? So God is here, and we submit requests to him. And um, it's a good thing that God is God, and that we are not, for a lot of reasons. Um, but I think we have to understand this passage of Scripture and that context, keep that in front of you, as we go through it a little more in detail, understand that God is here, we are here, we are in relationship to him, and he wants us to connect with him. He wants us to pray with him. He wants us to talk to him. Yet we can't lose sight of that authority and of that role that he has and the role that we have. So we're going to take a few moments here just to kind of explore a little bit more in depth as to what Jesus meant by these promises. Now, he is comparing himself, in a sense, to our own parenting, right? And um, for instance, a parent um, will not give their children whatever they want. If you do as a parent, you're a bad parent. Because my kids want lots of things that are not good for them. And if I gave them everything they wanted and did everything they wanted to do it, they would not be living today. Right? Daddy, I want to jump off of that building. That looks so fun. Maybe I could fly like a bird. You won't fly like a bird, son. Daddy, 
Can I skateboard across that highway? That looks so cool. That does look cool, but you'll die. Right? Daddy, can I have Skittles for breakfast with some milk? No, because I want you to have a healthy diet and not die early of Skittles disease. Right? I'm, so I'm just being a little jokey here, but let's just be honest. Let's be honest. Like, kids ask for things that you're like, in their mind, it makes a lot of sense. You know what I mean? It's like, why wouldn't I? What's, what's wrong with ice cream at 12 o'clock at night? We drove in late from the road trip. I'm hungry, you know? Um, what's wrong with X? Why not? For a child, many a times, they ask for things. They're not thinking through the ramifications, the consequences, or where that will go, or the lasting impact. Why not? Because they're a child. They shouldn't be thinking that. An adult should be thinking that. That's why you're the adult, right? But a child should be thinking, oh, now, as they progress and mature, right, and all of us have been there as little children, you didn't learn, oh, if I touch that, it will burn my hand. That's why daddy says, don't touch that, right? And so it is the mature, life-seasoned, experienced, authority parent that is trying to say, I'm not only trying to keep you alive, but I am trying to train you and help you how to understand life so that you know how to make it in this world. And that's gonna include me saying yes and me saying no. If you don't raise a child that way, they don't turn out well. So view this through the lens of God the Father and parenting us as little children who oftentimes will ask for things that we have no idea what we're really asking for. In the moment, it feels good, right? In the moment, it's like, but I gotta have that, God. Like, if I can, that'll fix this. Or, oh, geez, Lord. It's, you know, and so what I'm trying to say is that sometimes we misview God as writing a wish list that we're just hoping that we're gonna get from him. But that's not what Jesus is saying. There is, though, an invitation I believe, from Jesus to us saying, this is, what I, this is how I want you to seek out a connection with the Father. I want you to ask him. I want you to seek. I want you to knock. Now, for me as a dad, um, I really enjoy it when my kids, at times they've done this, where they'll write like a little note and they'll put it on my nightstand or something. And I wake up to it, or they get up before me, and they put it there, and I can see a little note. And it's so encouraging and super cute. Um, and they'll say, Daddy, I love you, or thanks for taking me to the game, or whatever, right? And I'm like, that's precious. But you know what I want more than that little note? I just want to talk with them. That's more valuable to me than a note. I like the note. But what I want is actually a relationship. I want a connection more than a letter. A letter is nice and you can store it away, but what I want is the experience with them, the connection with them more than a few thoughts on a piece of paper. I say that because I think for us, um, sometimes we misunderstand the fact that God is Father God. It is God the Father, it is God the Son and God the Spirit, three in one. And there is a relationship to be had. And so Jesus is inviting us into relationship with the Father of which 
He had very clearly a connection, even down on earth in this human form, had this connection with the Father, was trying to train and help us, even today, and the disciples back then, help us to know, hey, this is how you have a relationship with your heavenly Father. It's a relationship where you're able to share your thoughts, where you're able to say, this is what's good and this is what's bad. This is what's encouraging and this is what's challenging. This I'm struggling with, this I'm feeling great about. These I have questions about. I would much rather my children come to me and ask me questions, and they have of late, like some bigger life questions than pick up a phone and ask Google. I'd rather them say, so dad, how big is that? Or dad, why is it the moon is like that? Or dad, where did this come from? Or why does it happen like that? I would much rather us talk it through and answer it. And I am not God. I am Tyler, dad, human man, who's only got a finite brain. But I will still answer to the best of my abilities and try to help them understand things. The great thing about God that's different than me is that God is the all-knowing creator God. He will reveal what he needs to reveal and not reveal what doesn't he reveal because he loves you and knows there's a certain time and place for everything. But there's nothing he doesn't know. He just may not tell you about it. Because a good, good father tells his children what they need to know when they need to know it. A good, good father gives his children experiences when they can handle it. He won't exasperate you. He won't send you to the cliff's edge. He won't give you more than you can handle. He may push you. He may test you, absolutely. But he's a good father who ultimately wants relationship. And you know, if you think about it this way, if you pray to God and ask them, and he just opened the floodgates of everything, there'd be no need to go back to him. Like, what if I sat my kids down one Saturday and said, all right, I'm gonna tell you all of it. You never have to ask him any more questions. These are all the stories, all the crazy ones, all the fun ones. So write it down and listen. We'll even record it. But we don't have to talk anymore. You got it all on Saturday, eight hours. That's it. Okay, we're good. How disheartening would that be? It's like, yeah, I knew my dad for a Saturday because I just downloaded all of it. No, 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 no. It's like, I'll give you a little bit here. Got to wait till next time, right? It's like when I would tell my kids stories, um, I do still sometimes, but especially the boys when they were younger, I would go in there and tell them a story night, right? And I would share a story and make it up, you know, Sir Lancelot or Sir Grapefruit or whatever, and just kind of make it up. And I would just tell him a story. And he rode off into this, and this is what happened. And he encountered this thing, and he jumped across the river, and you know, and I would, and then he met Sir Galahad, and he came along, and, and then I said, and we'll pick it up tomorrow. Like, oh, whoa, 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 tell me more. And I said, nope, gotta go to bed, more tomorrow. The incentive to kind of hang on to say, oh, I want more, which then reminded me maybe the next night when dad was really tired and is like, I just wanna go to bed, put these kids in bed. If one of them piped up and said, hey, dad, 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 remember that story about Sir Galahad? Gotta finish it. Like, oh, you're right. And I had to finish it. I had to go on to the next. They reminded me because there was a desire to stay connected, to reveal a little bit more. Does that make any sense? So understand God in that way. He knows it all. There's nothing surprising him about current planet Earth. Surprises us all the time. 
There's nothing surprising that's ever happened or ever will happen. He is clear on how it's all going down. He's not going to tell us he's going to give us some insights and some prophecies and some strange things. We're like, oh, I think I know what that is. And then every generation thinks they like nailed it. <laughs> oh, no, it's 2000. That's it. Right? It's all going down, you know, or whatever. And it's this year, this situation, or this hurricane is a sign of the... No, it's not. We're still here. It's not the sign of anything. We're still all here. You know what I'm saying? There's still like a lot of brokenness. There's still a lot of church planning needs to be done. There's still a lot of stuff that has to happen. And so we can keep hanging on to like peg it or just keep putting your hand in the plow and just keep moving. Yeah. I've always said I would much rather have my hand in the plow in the field and be surprised by the second coming of Christ than sitting on my porch drinking lemonade waiting for him to come. Right. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be like, whoa, he's here? Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Right? But I don't want to be sitting around or trying to point or timetable out. So if you're doing that, stop doing that. Put your hand in the plow and get moving. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's nothing to do with this message, but that just, <laughs> where that came from. All right, here we go. Ask, seek, knock. All right, let's just break this down a little bit. Um, so what I love is this word ask in the Greek, it's translated also to request or to petition. So it goes back to this idea of asking the father, like to request, to petition him, to come to him and to say, Lord, this is what I'm asking, right? And we ask with the right heart. And even though he says, whatever you ask, it'll be given. I don't look at that. Maybe you do, but I don't interpret that. And the commentaries, everything else I read, it's not... If I ask for this, I'm going to get exactly that, right? Now, we're going to go on just a minute here. He's going to break it down a little bit more for us. But I just want us to be clear that in the asking, he is responding. He is giving, but it may just look different than what we expected, but it still will be good. That's the key. In Matthew 18, 19, he says, Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything, they ask. It will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Jesus later on in his ministry reiterating this very point here in Matthew 7 that two or three of you gathered and agree on anything. Guess what? It's going to be done for them by my Father in heaven. And sometimes that is direct. Sometimes it is literally, Father, would you heal this person's leg and you see the miracle happen in front of your eyes? Sometimes it is, God, would you give breakthrough in this relationship and you get a phone call 30 minutes later that it happened. So do not hear me say that just because we asked the Lord, it's never gonna come that way. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that whatever the response is, is good and it is best, even though we may or may not like the response. But we have to submit it to request him, to petition him. He says, ask, you receive. He says, seek, you will find. When I think about seeking, I think about looking, right? Seeking something out. The, the parable Jesus shares in Matthew 15. Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. 
a different context, talking about someone coming to the Lord, salvation in the Lord, but this idea of seeking out this lost coin, seeking him out with this sweeping and flipping the tables over to find it, like this desire to not stop until you have found it. Psalm 27, 8, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. It's not just a seeking after stuff, it's a seeking after him. It's asking to receive, seek and you will find. I believe wholeheartedly, he's talking about seeking me and you will find me. Seek me, seek the father, you will find me. Not all the stuff or the treasures or how he can bless you and help you out. That's all secondary. It is seek me, seek my face, seeking him, not just the answer. It says, knock, the door will be opened. In some ways, you could call this stepping out in faith, right? Knocking on the door. Why? Because you don't know what's on the other side of that door. But it's knocking. It's like, I'm going to knock, though. I'm going to knock because in faith, there is a desire for me to persevere, to be persistent. I believe Jesus is talking to his disciples specifically about persistence and confidence when he says, I want you to knock. I want you to knock. You know, I've shared this maybe before, but several years ago, um, I had the opportunity to go visit one of our churches in Southern Siberia. Um, and uh, we went there for this celebration for them. They had been a church plant for 20-something years. It was incredible. And that church was planted right after the Soviet Union kind of fell apart and the doors opened into Russia. And um, I went there with, with Jimmy uh, Seibert, who's a senior pastor of Anak Waco, and Joe Ewan, who many of you know from uh, World Mandate. He's a dear friend of ours from Scotland and a couple other guys. We went and we were there and, you know, we, um, we had got on the plane. It was four plane rides to go from here over to where we're going. There's a lot of, lot of flying. And um, when we met at the airport with Jimmy, he said, hey, I just want you guys to know that um, this trip's going to be kind of interesting. And it was only like a three days on the ground trip. So it's like a day and a half to get there, three days on the ground, day and a half to get back. So a lot of jet lagging going on, right? And he said, it's going to be interesting. We said, okay. And he said, well, we just found out that, um, that two of our workers are in prison. And we were like, oh. So he told us their names. He said, yeah, they're in prison and that this just, this just happened like in the last 24 hours. So we're working our contacts with the State Department and everything else, but um, it doesn't look good. And uh, this is in a Middle Eastern country. And um, <clears throat> not to get into the whole story, but there they are. And um, so we get in the plane and and we're like, we get, to, we get to Russia and we're part of this conference and ministering and praying for people and all that. And in the off hours, he's on the phone and emailing back and forth and trying to figure out what can we do, what can happen, are there, can attorneys be involved or is this kind of a sealed up deal? And it wasn't looking good. Um, the final calls we got were, hey, they're, they're, on, they're about to go on trial and uh, if found guilty, most likely, then they'd be sentenced to a long life in prison or even execution. And um, so, you know, when you get news like that, you're like, whoa, this is serious. This isn't like, oh, I hope that goes okay. So we went up to one of our hotel rooms and um, it was the five of us. We got in this room and just started worshiping and praying and 
um, you know, I've been in some different environments, worship and pray before, but, um, you know, we didn't have any music because the place where we're at, you couldn't be real vocal about Christianity. And so it was just us just kind of singing hymns. And um, we began praying and really fervent prayer. If you can imagine whatever that would look like for you, um, where you're just, you're nearly like sweating because you're just so aggressively praying, contending. And we're there and we're praying. And um, anyways, we had gotten some different kind of prophetic words or acts to do. And when you're praying and you're in this desperate place, you're kind of willing to do whatever. You're like, hey, if we feel like a nudge from God to do this, let's just do it. So we did and we began praying and had this, had this, this, this picture of them in prison and because that's what they were being held in like the actual jail cells and, um, and had, this, had this, this picture of Jimmy and Joe both kind of joining hands as a sign, this kind of apostolic and kind of prophetic gifted men joining hands together and literally turning with their hands as we're there in the hotel room, turning the key to the, to the actual jail cells, like to turn the key to open the gates. Thinking back to the, to the book of Acts and how the gates were opened and just said, Lord, that's what we're gonna believe for. And so we're like crying out and praying and desperately. And this is, at, this is like, there, there is no, at this point, like the contacts and the government kind of connections are all just not working. Nothing's working. Um, and so we pray and we contend for this. And it was crazy. And this is like an hour and a half, two hours worth of us just praying and tending up there in the hotel room. And we finally get done. And it was within a couple hours. Jimmy got word that, um, that they were gonna drop these charges and that they were gonna be released and had to go through some paperwork and just went like complete 180. Now, there was lots of other people praying, just to be clear. I think there was probably hundreds of people who were looped in in a close loop to know what was going on because it was a pretty dicey situation. But in my life, I look back at that and I'm like, whether we had a 1% part to play in that, 0.1%, 70%, I don't really care. But I know we had a percentage. There was some part to play that we had in that moment of coming together and knocking as hard as we possibly could to get something to open, to get something to move. Now, I say that in this context not just in relation with the Father, but when you knock hard enough and you're desperate enough, God does respond to desperation. He, he, he doesn't respond as well to, well, God, I'm gonna pursue plan A, but I've got plan B, C, and D lined up if you don't come through. Why would he? Well, great, why don't we just go to your plan B or C or D? And listen, I've, I've prayed like that plenty of times. Lord, this would be nice, but if it doesn't work out, I mean, that's, I'm not maybe even saying that, but I'm thinking that. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But when you get to a desperate place, it's like, if this doesn't happen, it's over. It's over. I believe that sometimes as believers that we are brought into a moment where our faith has to increase to a level that is supernatural, that goes beyond all conscience, all meaning, that you believe the impossible that God can do for the breakthrough. So let's kind of put all this together, this praying, asking, seeking. Um, 
<clears throat> so let me put it this way. So let's say that there's a young boy and he's, his room's upstairs in the house and he wakes up and he comes downstairs and he sees that his father is sitting in the living room and he's just reading a book. And he wants to go to him. He can go ask him something. He sees him right there. He comes down and knows where he is. Well, let's say that same little boy, another day he wakes up and he comes down and he thinks his dad's in the living room, but he's not. So he's got to go seek him out somewhere in the house. He's somewhere in the house. He knows he's in the house. So there's nowhere. So he's going to go seek him out. And he looks in the living room, not there, and looks in the kitchen. Oh, dad's in his bedroom. So he seeks him out and he can connect with him. Well, let's say another day that boy wakes up and he comes downstairs and um, he looks and he doesn't see his dad in the living room or in the kitchen and the bedroom and he's seeking him out, but then he realizes, oh, he's in the study, but the door's shut. And so he knocks on the door and his dad opens and he connects with his daddy. But let's reverse that and to think about it this way. What if that little boy comes downstairs and he sees his dad sitting in the living room and he's reading his book and his perspective and his view of his dad is don't disturb dad because dad's reading his book. And if I interrupt dad right now, I'm going to get it. So I'm not going to really ask him. It's not that important. Let's say that little boy goes downstairs and seeks him out and he finds he's in his bedroom and maybe dad's still sleeping. Don't wake up dad. Do not wake up the bear, right? <laughs> I don't want to wake him up. I mean, because I know my dad startled waking up, just kind of, oh, just, you know, he might hit me or something. Just, oh, just, why wake me up? You know, just whatever, right? And it's like, oh, if I wake up my dad, I mean, it's big time trouble. Don't do that. What if he goes to the study and he is about to knock, but he's like, oh, my dad's working. I know he's working. He's going to get so angry at me if I interrupt him. He's probably on a call. He's probably got something... And if I talk to him right now, if I knock on that door, he's going to be so annoyed. He doesn't want to talk to me. He's too busy. So what if that is our view of our Heavenly Father? Any one of those views, or all three. What if your understanding and your view of God is he's unapproachable, doesn't want to be disturbed, doesn't care about that, don't interrupt, he's hard at work. If that's our view, I believe you won't Ask, seek, or knock. And I would argue there's a lack of confidence than we have to approach the Father, which may be one of the summaries of this entire passage. In James 1, 5 through 7, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by, wind, by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. This idea of doubting, right? Doubting like the ways of the sea. We're supposed to ask in faith. So I believe the asking, the seeking, the knocking, the premise of that is to come with a confidence to the Lord. It'd be like Peter stepping off the boat when Jesus is walking on the water. He says, Peter, come to me. And Peter's a choice to make. He either looks at the water and the reality that he's most likely going to sink from everything he knows about life. And every previous experience says, when I step on water, I go under, right? Which would make sense. Or he steps out and says, 
this seems crazy, but I'm gonna have a faith with no doubting at all. I'm just gonna keep my eyes fixed on Jesus and I'm just gonna start walking and I'm gonna pretend I'm walking on concrete right now or a hard ground because I'm just gonna fix my eyes on him. And we all know the story and we probably would have all been like Peter. You know, I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Like, oh, I would have walked on that water. Can't believe that, Peter. He's just so negative. Man, what a doubter. It's like, you were the same thing. You wouldn't have gotten two steps out there. Nor would I. Been like, kerplunk. It's like, oh, at least he made it a little bit, right? Let's not, let's not judge Peter, right? But Peter, eventually what happened, he looked at the water and oh my gosh, right? He, he looked down, he lost his confidence. The doubt seeped in and everything diminished. But let's keep going here in Matthew 7, 9 through 11. Jesus continues this idea and he says, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil, yikes, right? Just call us evil. Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You see, even though parents will innately have a desire to do what is right for their children, we still come up short in matching what God does. Because he says, what, even you who are evil. It's like, think about just for a parent for a moment. It's like, hey, you still have some problems, but you love your kids, you want to do what's best, but you still miss the mark. How much more will our heavenly father do something? John 1.12 says, to all who did receive him, speaking of Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To become the child of God, we must receive the son of God. Jesus, who gives us the authority of adoption. These promises he's laying out about asking, seeking, and knocking are for those that have given their hearts to Jesus or those that have been adopted into the family of God. I love what Martin Luther said reflecting on this, this passage. He said, he knows that we are timid and shy, that we feel unworthy and unfit to present our needs to God. We think that God is so great and we are so tiny that we do not dare to pray. That is why Christ wants to lure us away from such timid thoughts, to remove our doubts, and to have us go ahead confidently and boldly. Confidently and boldly. We are meant to approach him, not as an angry Dad, not as someone who does not want to be disturbed, but is ready and waiting for you to knock and is eagerly sitting there behind his desk waiting with a big smile. Maybe reading his book, pretending to read, just waiting for you to come along. Being calm and peaceful in his bedroom, but come on in. That's who God is. And there's not a father on the planet that portrays that perfectly, as hard as we try. There is no daddy on planet Earth that'll come close to him. I'm a dad, and I fall short. Every day, every weekend, I don't want to. I don't wake up, how am I gonna screw up today? I don't wake up, how can I ruin my kid's dream today? 
right? What can I shout out next? What can I believe? I don't do that. But I do. I don't want to do that. I want to be awesome. I want the Dad of the Year Award created by them, given to me. <laughs> Not you, just, you know, you're Dad of the Year. Yes. You know, there's only one guy in the running, but you know what I'm saying? I'll take it. I want to do right. But I actually have options. There's no options for God. He just does what is good. Every time. There is no good or evil. It's just, it's always good. It's always right. It's always holy. So we can't limit our understanding of the Father from our own earthly experience with fathers or uncles or grandpas. Every time we do that, we miss the mark. Yes, a dad standard, a male's standard in this life and a father should be our heavenly father. That's the standard. Not any human. The standard is God himself. How does he deal with us when we've sinned? What happens? What about mercy and grace and love and kindness? Firmness, right? Clarity, conviction. How does he treat? How does he handle? That's what your standard needs to be. Not another male. It needs to be him. We look to males for examples and other men, absolutely. And let's do that. Let's have heroes of the faith. But in the end, your standard, the gold standard is God himself. That's who we look to. Because if not, then we get limited and we get hung up on the misgivings of our own earthly fathers. So here's how I want to wrap it up here. Um, how I want us to, to remember this passage from Jesus is, one, there's an invitation for connection. There's an invitation for connection. He is inviting you, he's inviting me to connect with him. And as long as we have the right understanding of he is God the Father and we are his children, only because of what Jesus Christ has done are you adopted into God's family. You're part of the spiritual family. And he says, I want to hear from my kids. And I know you don't know everything that's going to happen. I know you don't know all the pieces and all the dots that have been connected throughout history and will be. I know that. Just come to me with your God. I know that we only see a little bit down the road and not the full picture. He knows that. But he's merciful and graceful and loving enough to say, okay, we'll bring it to me anyways. Come on. There are, it's like, it's like with your kids, really, when they're little, like there are no dumb questions. They're all great. They're just, they wouldn't ask it if they, you know what I'm saying? Like they're curious. They're trying to understand. We're curious. We're trying to understand. I don't know, God. I don't know why this happens, this doesn't. I don't know why this person's healed and this one's not. I don't know why this breakthrough happened in here. I don't know why in this family the marriage got restored and in this one it's imploding. I don't understand. God, I don't know why this friend got the scholarship and this one didn't. Lord, I don't know why this, this person or I feel distant and you feel close. Why? It's the same God. What's going on? Yeah. I don't have all the answers to that. I'm not here to answer that. But he does. He'll reveal to you in time. And in measure. But many times he's looking for us to be patient. There's an invitation for connection. But he doesn't want it just to be one Saturday. He wants it to be a lifelong connection. That he continues to reveal a little bit more each day, each year. And then one day in heaven, it'll all be there. But until that day, we're just chipping away. Just like a daddy. 
I'm not going to tell you everything you know. We're going to teach you one thing at a time. We're going to invite the band on up. Um, just going to end with this last little story here. Um, some of you know this, but when I was a senior in high school um, and applying to colleges, I, my parents went to OU, Oklahoma University. So boomer sooner. Hey, that's, that's the way it is. That's what I'm born into. And I was actually an avid Sooner fan in Austin, Texas. You believe that? So that's why I struggled to have so many friends. Um, went to high school where nearly everybody was a Longhorn. It's crazy. Uh, I know. I'm just going to keep it going. Um, uh, yeah, I feel like I'm like at a Yelp practice. It's great. And then in 2021, 2022, 22. And one day in 2024, there you go. Okay, yeah, great, great. Sorry, I'm a, little, I'm a little rusty. But when I was a senior in high school, I remember applying to a few different schools. And um, I applied to A&M. And, you know, my grades were okay. Uh, for a, just so you know, I worked hard. But, you know, sometimes this and this don't match up. So uh, the effort was there. Um, and so, you know, I remember a lot of my friends got their letters, acceptance to universities, whatever. And uh, mine came in the mail, you know, and I'm like, okay, and I opened it up and it said, uh, you know, that I had been waitlisted uh, and, uh, but that they were offering me an opportunity to be part of this thing called the Blend Team. And um, it was brand new. This was 2001. And uh, they said, um, you know, there's this new program rolling out. We're going to offer to 500 people, and if you want to do it. And so I go home to my parents, and I'm like, this is, I don't, you know, my friends aren't getting waitlisted, but I am, and I had to work through that one. And, and I was like, I really prayed through it and talked to my parents for a while, and what do I do? And, and um, I remember it was a hard decision, but I said, okay, I'm going to do the whole blend team thing. And at the time, it was brand new, and they said there's not, necessarily guarantee you can go to A&M. It's just, but this is a pathway to get there. And I knew I wanted to go. And so I remember I, um, I remember I said, okay, yeah, I'm in, which, whatever it's going to take. And just kind of shifted in my heart and said, I'm just glad to get to go to college. And so got ready to go. And I didn't know where I was going to live. They had told me I was waitlisted for housing and because you were able to stay on A&M's campus. And I remember about three or four weeks before school started, they sent me a letter and said that because at this time, you just kind of got told where to go, whatever. And uh, they said I was going to be in a study carol uh, in Aston Hall. So it's a dorm. And I was like, what does that mean? And they're like, well, it's the place people study or usually don't, but we'll convert it into a little bedroom for you. So um, <laughs> there was going to be a desk in there and a little rollaway cot. And there was going to be a little hanger thingy with clothes. And they were going to put curtains across the deal. Uh, I was like, hey, I'm in. So I was like, I just want to live on campus. And so... Um, so anyway, so I, I'm like, all right. So my mom and dad are like, well, we don't have to buy a whole lot from Bed Bath Beyond, I guess. There's not a lot to do. You know, it's like a couple of pillows. That's it, but there's nothing to furniture out your, uh, your little study carol there. And so I was all geared up. I was going to go to Blinn and, uh, you know, go to A&M just for one or two classes. And, uh, you know, I just had to work through that and just, okay, great. I'm thankful. And this is what we're going to do. And, um, and, you know, I, I remember, uh, a week and a half later, I got another letter. I said, hey, actually, Mr. Hardy, you've, 
we found you an opening at a place called Cane Hall. And I was like flipping through like, what's Cane Hall? I don't know what Cane Hall is. And this doesn't even exist anymore. And, uh, but it was the athletic dorm. And so there's a spot opened up in the athletic dorm. And so the way it worked was half the athletes, male athletes lived in there and then half had to be non-athletes. So I was in non-athlete category. And I was like, okay. And ended up moving in and moved in myself one day and the beds were ginormous. They're like seven feet long. I was like, yes, Lord, you know? And, and then you had to get a meal plan, 19 meals a week. And so, um, but they fed you like the athletes. And so it was T-Bone Tuesdays. It was Fajita Wednesdays. I remember it. It was amazing. I put on 30 pounds in three months. Mostly muscle. Uh, it was not mostly muscle. Uh, I, was, I was like a toothpick coming into college, okay? So, and uh, I remember I like call mom and dad. I'm like, mom and dad, this is amazing. I get like five-star food, three meals a day. I don't have to clean up anything. My bed is the biggest bed I've ever seen in my life. Um, I, I knew most of the guys on the football team and basketball team, and it was just like, okay, we kind of hung out, and, and it was crazy. And then I'm there, and I'm like, and I'm like doing well in school because instead of being in a class with 400 people trying to weed me out, I'm in a class with 30 and actually can like understand it. And mom and dad is saving you money. And they're like, this is a win, 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 you know? And, but I remember looking back at that, in my journey leading up to that, it was disappointment that I'm going to be in a study carol, I'm going to blend my A&M, and, and, and I don't even know what that looks like, and I may not ever make it in, and I was like, this is not what I thought, but God, I'm going to take the door you've opened and just give it a go. And looking back, I would have not changed it at all. Not one bit. Not one bit. I share that with you to say this. Um, there's a lot of things we pray for, school and things. Those things are not eternal. They matter here in life. But what I would just say is that if you trust that God is good and that he has your best intentions in mind, whatever door he opens, just go through it. Whatever he says or doesn't say, just, okay, Lord, you're not telling me what to do for a reason. There's a waiting game with God. You know, the Israelites waited a while. David's anointed king and had to wait a while. You know, they got killed a few times on his way there. There is something to be said for God saying, hey, I have something for you, but it's going to take some time. Like, I don't, I don't want my kids to be born and then three years later, go off to college. Right. I, I like it that they have to be here for at least 18. Because it's time. So I want you to stand this morning. And here's how I want to stand. I just honestly want to keep it pretty open-ended, but um, what I want, just have some of our ministry team come here, some of our life group leaders. These guys are just life group leaders in our college, young adult, family zone, and they're just here to pray for you, um, whatever you need. But civically this morning, I just felt like really a couple invitations for us. One is, um, I think there's some of us, maybe all of us, but some of us really just need some healing from prayers that have been unanswered. Um, they haven't been answered yet. And you've been asking for something that's really significant for you. Um, 
and it's not insignificant to God, but it hasn't been answered. You don't have the clarity yet, and you're just kind of at this, I don't know what to do. I want to give up. Do I quit? Do I press on? And so if that's you, I want to just make these guys available to you this morning. Just come up and just share it. Just say, hey, would you pray with me? Just for the clarity, for the healing that needs to happen. And then I think another another piece is um, I think there's just maybe some that are just wrestling with God's goodness. You hear me say that God's good no matter what. His intentions are good, but maybe you haven't seen that goodness played out like you'd hoped in your life. And there may be a bigger issue beyond praying, connecting. It's just your understanding. Like how you view God, how you view him as God the Father. Is he really a father? Is he really good? Can he really be trusted? Does he really want me to knock on the door when he's in the study? Does he really want me to come when he's sitting there relaxed and bother him? Am I bothering him? Is that how I approach him? Am I frustrating him? Or is he welcoming me? For some of us, that may be where it needs to start. I need a shift. I need a mindset shift, a heart shift with God the Father so that I'm viewing him rightly so that when I do approach him, I do seek him out. I know what to expect. So wherever you're at this morning, if you need something, come up here. These guys can pray. If you need anything else, come on up. If not, you can turn to a friend and pray with them as well. But don't leave here if there's something stirring in your heart. You're saying, man, I just need someone to help me in that place. So Lord, I just thank you this morning and ask that you would minister to our hearts. And Spirit of God, we do pray that you would reveal to us what needs to be revealed, that if there's, a, if there's some sort of blockage with you, Heavenly Father, there's some sort of view or perspective or something that is kind of in the way, Lord, would you highlight it? Would you remove it? <laughs> clear the pathway for a clear, clean connection with you, God. And Lord, I do pray for any of us in this room that just need healing, need help with the disappointment of prayers unanswered or asking, requesting of things that just haven't come to pass or we're not even sure how it's going to end. And we're just in that place of uncertainty, Lord. I just pray for healing in those places and encouragement to anyone who needs it. In Jesus' name.